Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I'm going to ask you if you would today turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. I was saddled recently with the ominous task of leading the devotion at the elders meeting recently. And we looked at this passage and I knew when we did that it wouldn't be long we'd be preaching on this. It just was burning in my heart. As a matter of fact, I would highly recommend you take a fresh look at Romans 8. I mean from the very beginning to the end. It really is one of the most incredible chapters in all of Scripture. And it has something awesome to say in every verse. And we're going to begin in verse 31 today. Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? You, you'll notice that Paul is a, he's a fair sportsman when it comes to debate. Several times he will say things like, where is the debater of this age? Would you like to stand and, and maybe argue with the Word of God? He did that at Corinth and, and this world is going so well. I'm sure today... That would be a great question just for people who think the world doesn't need God. Have you read a paper lately? Would you just like to stand and maybe pose your case that this is all a waste of time to worry about God? So he asked who will bring a charge later. He will say, who will separate us from the love of Christ. And if God is for us, it, could, I, could I see a show of hands of who is against us? Of course, it's silence. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written in the Psalms, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What an awesome word. I think one of the saddest quandaries is for a person to wonder as to whether God loves him or her. Does God really care about me? And some maybe at one time believed He did, but maybe things in life have caused them to to wonder whether or not God really loves them. And oh, I know in church, uh, we are quicker to speak things sometimes than maybe we ought to be. I'm sure there some would say, oh, I I never uh, questioned His love. if you've never questioned His love, if you've, if you've never had a doubt about that, and you really honestly can, can say that, then I will tell you life's been kind to you. Because I can tell you sometimes the darkness descends, and, and there are places that maybe you and I have not walked that others have. We know of some recently that probably couldn't help but say, God, if you love us, how could you let us walk through such a horrible time? And I'm thinking, of course, of Scott and Renee, and they're, they're not the only ones. But, boy, sometimes, uh, man, when life hits you really hard, and maybe you just haven't been there yet. But I can tell you, a lot of good, godly people have gotten to the place that they wondered, what is God doing? I don't want to doubt your love, God. And I don't want to doubt your plans or your sovereignty, but, but I just don't understand. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, for God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God says, I know the ways that I have planned for you and they're not for calamity, but you may have to wait a while to figure that one out because it may just look like calamity. It may just feel like pain. You may feel deserted. You may just wonder sometimes. And I, I love it in Scripture. I, I, I think some people just hadn't read the Bible. They're better at carrying it than they are reading it. But there are lots of people in Scripture who question, God, where are you? What is going on? Why have you allowed this to happen? Now, we know God loves us. A couple of things quickly before we look at the text. We can look at his creation. He loved his creation, that, that's for sure. You know, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he, he spoke of it more often than we probably realize. And I will tell you the fall of man, sin, and, and all of the destruction that it caused 
It did not deter God's plan because He's going to redeem this place one day. It didn't make Him switch off to plan B. It didn't catch Him off guard. He didn't say, well, I'll just get rid of the earth and I'll be done with that. Boy, I had great plans, but boy, Satan came along and really boogered that one up for me. No, he says, I will redeem that place. He says, as a matter of fact, Paul tells us in this chapter, says all of creation groans for the day when God will redeem this place and all of the effects of sin and selfishness and deceit will be no more. I love what he says about his creation in Matthew 6. He reminds us, he says, consider the lilies of the field. He says how they grow. And he says, the birds, look at the little birds. You know, they tell me uh, that some birds eat all the time. I'm probably one of those birds. But they have to have, their, their metabolism is so fast, their heart beats at such a rate that they are constantly, constantly Uh, looking for food. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, and your heavenly Father, not theirs, they don't have a heavenly Father, but your heavenly Father feeds them. And if your heavenly Father will take care of the birds and even the lilies of the field, those little wild flowers that just grew, I mean, who would have noticed had he not colored them quite like he did or, or, or just put a little stripe here? Or, or what if he had made butterflies black and white? I mean, what's the big deal? But no, he took time with all of that. And, and he says, if I take that kind of time and give that kind of attention to a wild flower growing in the field, he says, how much more will I take care of you? He says, also look at His grace. We're not at the text yet. We're getting there. But just at His grace confirms that, that He loves us. Paul's already confirmed for us in this chapter, if you read the first part, that God's love will never fail us. But what if we fail God? What if we fail God? I'm not worried about God failing me, but what if I fail God? You know, the great scandal in all of Scripture is forgiveness. And what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus explained it. Forgiveness, grace is scandalous. He says in Matthew 20, I'll just tell you this quickly, you've read it before, but he talks about a parable of a man who owned a vineyard and he hired servants and they came early, some of them, and he agreed to give them a denarii and, uh, or a denarius for one day's work and that was a day's wage and then others came later and then finally he just kept hiring people as others came and the man that owned the vineyard finally hired some that only had to work one hour and when they all lined up for their pay, they all got the same amount (laughs) and some of them weren't happy about that and he looked at them and told them he says in verse 15 of Matthew 20 is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own or is your eye envious because I'm generous it don't seem right 
We worked longer than they did, and we got the same thing. He says, but you settled for the same thing. I did for you exactly what I promised I would do for you. And if someone else you feel like is less deserving, that's too bad. That's just the scandal of grace. I, I think another example of it is the thief on the cross. And remember, he's not just a thief. He is a robber. He's a bandit. He's somebody that took somebody else's possessions by force. And, and, and even though he was never, and this is the one that, that God saved, because you remember both asked to be saved, but only one was. And but think about that. Lord, remember me when you come. And Jesus saved him right there on the spot. Now, he was never able to fulfill requirements we would have been asking for. We'd have said, hey, how about some restitution? He was never able to pay back his victims. He was never able to apologize to anybody. He was never able, never afforded the opportunity to finally make something out of his sorry self or prove to us that he had learned his lesson. But I can tell you, if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, one day you will be where that thief is right now. He may not have met all the requirements we'd like to see. Oh, I'm, I'm one of the world's best at talking about it. I tell you what they ought to do with him. Sometimes I forget what God should have done with me. I, I'm amazed how many Christians I hear say, well, I believe in karma. Do you know what karma is? Are you Hindu? Really? I bet you'd go to yoga class too, right? Might be a visual we don't want, so don't, don't tell us that. Karma is Hinduism. I, I know people use the word, they don't mean anything much by it because they don't, they're ignorant about what the, the actual word means, but it's a, it's a term in karma, uh, in, in Hinduism. And, and, and Hindu, uh, I guess uh, what you would call them, uh, theologians tell us that it takes six million, they figured it up, if you were wondering, six million eight hundred thousand reincarnations to actually settle karma. You got a lot of coming back and dying to do to fix karma. It is a ridiculous idea. Dear, but sometimes I hear us talk about, well, you know, they're going to get what's coming to them. We should all, honestly, and I feel like the biggest hypocrite in the world because I'm one of the first ones to say something like that. But I can tell you, we never want from God what we deserve. None of us do because we deserve to die lost without God and spend eternity in hell. Every last one of us. So, since we know that it's settled as far as God and our sins and His relationship with us, since we know God's not going to quit loving us, He tells us in verse 1 of this chapter, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, He says He's not given us a spirit of slavery but of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That was Aramaic for Daddy. That's a very casual, intimate term for Father. It's, 
It's something like a small child would say. And Paul says we can look at God and we can actually call Him Daddy. And it's not disrespectful, but it's intimate because we have that kind of relationship with Him. And then in verse 26, same chapter. Romans 8, he says, and when we don't even know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us with groans, groanings, too deep for words. But then what about other things? We know that God's assured us He loves us, but I can tell you, is there anything else that might could separate us from His love? John A.T. Robertson he is the preeminent Greek, the preeminent Greek scholar, I'd say, of all time. He talks about this word separate. It, it means literally to put space between. Uh, it, it's just good to hear that word picture sometimes. What could put space between me and God? It, could something else do it? And it's easy for you and I to say, oh, oh, no. God says He loves us. Nothing could ever change that. But just think about it. There's so many that you were so in love with your spouse, but divorce separated you from him or her. And I think about my precious little wife. We're, we're separated right now, you know. Maybe you didn't. She's staying over at Chase's because they're in Chicago on business. And because of our pets, we can't be together because they have a cat and I have Roscoe. And he has a special relationship with cats and it's been consistent so far and that's all I'll say about that. I don't want you to hate him for it. But I know people that they love their spouse like I love this woman here. I can't imagine how they could, but man, I'm telling you, divorce separated that, God. I had a loved one, Lord, that was so young, 26 years old, a daughter. David Cooper sitting over here, my brother, I pray for him every single day. And death separated him from his 26-year-old daughter. How in the world can that be? Just preached a funeral for a 14-year-old who took his own life that most of you know about. It, it, how, how can that be? And then what about hopes and dreams? Sometimes we have those and, and life just doesn't work out and it separates us from those. And then sometimes, boy, we feel so good physically, but then just a little something on the inside that we didn't even know was there. And the next thing you know, sickness has separated us from a healthy body. And the freedom to live and do what we want. So is it possible that something could separate us from the love of God? Don't spoil it. Let's let Paul explain it to us. The answer is no. But he gives us three reasons why. 
He says, God's love is enduring. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or, or sword? Wow. Well, at least now we know one thing. God's not going to shelter us from all the difficulties of life. We already know that it's possible that this could come as a matter of fact for people who believe that, oh, you can just speak it away or pray it away or if you're on the right level with God or intimate with Him or by so-and-so's book that you don't have to endure all these things. I will tell you now, the Apostle Paul, everyone on this list in this verse, he's already endured except for the sword. And he will that one before he's over with. So we know we're not going to be sheltered, but Paul says it won't separate us from the love of God. Let's look at the list, tribulation. Thylipsis is a word in the Greek. It means pressure. It means pressure, just pushing and, and, and just, I, I just think that that's a great word, an unyielding heaviness upon us. Man, alive, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, it's been said, and maybe it was C.S. Lewis and the problem of pain, uh, in his book that he wrote, but uh, he tells us that pain is there to tell us something's wrong. Pain serves a purpose in life. Uh, whoever it was that said it, said if you put your hand on a hot stove and it, and it burns, it, the, 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 the pain is a symptom. It's not the problem. The problem is there's something going on that's wrong. This is not right. Get your hand off of the stove. And when we see pain in life, it is a reminder for us. And sometimes I know it is hard to see it this way. And some of you have walked through things that I don't know that you will fully understand until we're in glory with our Heavenly Father. But it is to tell us sometimes that, hey, this world is not right. It is a fallen world. It is cursed by sin. And sometimes we have reminders that, boy, there is something horribly wrong here. There, there, for, for 14-year-old kids to pass away, uh, that, 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 that's just something about that that's not right. That you just, you just can't put a bow on that. You can't wrap your mind around that. Uh, to, to, to lose a daughter at such a young age. And some of you others have lost children as well. Man, a lot. For any child to die before their parents do. God, what a, what a horrible, horrible thing to have happen. But other things can happen as, happen as well. It is a reminder for us that this is not a place where you want to drive the stakes in real deep. This is not a place where you want to concentrate your life. This is not the place on which you want to focus. This place is messed up, man. I sound all 60s, dude. This place is messed up. Don't, don't, don't worry about excelling in this place. If you never become... President of the United States. Don't, it's, it's cool. If, if you never become CEO or get the corner office, it is all okay. Because this place is messed up. 
Don't worry about just excelling here so much. If you, if you fail in this life or if you don't get everything you want, I can tell you, welcome to planet Earth. It is a messed up place. And pain reminds us of that. Secondly, he talks about distress. This word in the Greek means a narrowing, means that things are just kind of coming in on us. It, and, and boy, I can tell you, one who has, has fought depression, and, and I have in my life, I, I've been honest and transparent with you about that. I, I, God's helped me so much in uh, the last couple of decades or so, but... Boy, I, I, I can tell you, I know what that narrowing feels like. I know what it feels like for that darkness to descend. And all of a sudden, you lose perspective. And you're looking at something that's temporary, but it feels permanent. You're looking at something that's totally healable. It, 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 it can go away. It can be fixed. But you, you, you don't see it as that way. You see it as something devastating that will never change. And I really do believe that one of the reasons we need to pray for our young people, I believe that this epidemic of young kids that are taking their life, if they'd have waited 30 minutes longer, they might have seen things totally in a different way. But that narrowing, that part of their brain that won't develop until they're in their early 20s. Now, you know I'm a neurosurgeon. I can tell you we need to pray for them. If you've never struggled with depression, thank God. And just know when somebody says something to you that doesn't make sense, I promise you to them it's worse. Uh, one of the things that's helped me in my counseling, and it's one of those deals if we go back to the same chapter, 828, God causes all things to work together to good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I can tell you the most helpful thing in all of my counseling in 42 years has been the fact that I walked through depression myself. When people sit down in my office and they go, I know you're going to think this is crazy. I don't interrupt them, but I whisper to myself, I bet not. Go ahead. I bet not. I know what it feels like. I don't know what they feel like. I wouldn't say that for the world. That narrowing also, persecution, we're seeing that at a whole new level in our world today. And we'll see more of it. I, I, I'm moving quickly, so just please spare, or, well, spare me, stay with me, whatever. You're going to make me present, I keep bumbling around like that. The emperor Valens Roman emperor had Eusebius before him one time who was a Christian and he told him if you don't quit preaching the way you are. Because Eusebius, by the way, and they both claim to be Christians, by the way, but Eusebius believed that Jesus Christ was God and, 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 and Valens did not. 
he was uh, Arian in his thought. And so anyway, that he told him, he said, if you don't quit preaching that Jesus is God and, and totally equal with the Father, I'm going to confiscate all your goods. I'm going to torture you. I'll have you banished. And I may even put you to death. And Eusebius told him this. I'll read his quote. He needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose nor banishment to whom heaven is his country nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow nor death which is the only way to set him at liberty completely from sin and sorrow and then he said take your best shot buddy just it's right there no i added that Man, if you got that kind of perspective, what can life do to you? I think about pain and I'm going to move on. There's one story I've always, <laughs> I thought was hilarious. Actually, St. Patrick was baptizing King of Ireland. And he had a sharp point on the end of his staff. And the king knew nothing about Christianity. So he's baptizing him. I'm not sure if it was by immersion or if he was sprinkling him or hosing him down or what he was doing. But during the ceremony, St. Patrick wasn't watching. And he set his staff on top of the king's foot and really leaned hard on it and pushed it through the top of his foot. And the king never made a bobble. <laughs> And when St. Patrick realized what had happened, he says, well, Your Majesty or whatever, I'm so sorry. I had, I had no idea you suffered in silence. Why did you not say something? He said, I thought it was part of the ceremony. <laughs> That's kind of how we have to be when we come before God. Well, whatever it is, God. I'm willing to do it. Famine, number four. This is for those who would rather have God than food, if that's what it means. There's no guarantees of prosperity in this life. I, I can just tell you, as a matter of fact, Paul says there's no guarantee of even basic necessities. Sometimes famine will be your lot. Nakedness. We live in a, a time where Nakedness is just almost unheard of in the sense that we could be degraded. So, I mean, we got pastors wearing $2,000 suits and flying in private jets. And here is Paul talking about you could be in a famine, starving to death, or you might be naked and not even have any clothes at all to wear. What is Paul talking about? Did Paul, do you think Paul just didn't get it? Do you think if he had lived nowadays, he would be apologizing about how wrong he was about it? I doubt it. I doubt it. There is no level of degradation that's not on the table in this life, friend. Or peril. There could be danger. Danger all around. I read a story one time, never forgot, forgot it. It was about the uh, Boxer Rebellion in China. And it's about 1900. And in the Boxer Rebellion, there were these uh, Chinese that 
they were known for their hitting with their fist and all of that, and that's kind of got its name. But China was really against anybody who was a stranger coming in. They felt like that was bad for China, and they also uh, felt like that these Christians that, that were coming in with this new faith, that were ignoring the ancient uh, Chinese traditions, they felt like that that was wrong as well. And it says at one time, there was a cohort of them that went to a mission base of Christians. It was a gate there, and they blocked all the gates but one, and they tore the cross off the side of the building and laid it down on the ground. And they said, you can all leave, but you walk on this cross, and you shame it as you leave, or you die. The first eight young students at the Christian mission, they walked around it. The eight are the first seven. The eighth young lady that walked out, she walked around to the side, bowed down and prayed and gave honor and glory to God. She never set her foot on it. She walked on over to the firing squad and the next 92 all of the rest of them followed that young lady to the awaiting firing squad. Would die. Would die. It's, it, it's okay. Peril, danger, sword. That was the executioner. He quotes Psalm 44. He says, we're being put to death all the time. He says, God's love is enduring. We'll move on. It's also empowering. He says, but in all these things, verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. We do more than just get by. We, we, we're, this is not some kind of passive thing. We, we do more than get by. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We do more than overcome. We don't just win this thing uh, by, by a couple of uh, inches. No, we more than overcome whatever comes our way. And I'm skipping so much for the sake of time, but this, thirdly, he says it's enduring and empowering. He says it's eternal. Neither in this life will God stop loving Mike Snellgrove, nor in the next. It's eternal. Verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life. Here's a list of ten things. Death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He starts with death. He says, death can't separate us from the love of God. One of these days, if God tarries His coming, we're all going to lay these old physical bodies down. We're going to leave them behind. I don't want to take this one with me. Really? I'm going to get a new one. So I don't want to take this one with me. But even death, boy, and death seems like the end of everything, does it not? Death seems like, boy, that's just it. When you walk away from the cemetery, boy, that's like, okay, 
Well, that's over. No, it's not over. Because that will not separate us from the love of God. He says, neither death nor life. Boy, life is the real tough one. Someone has said that life or, or that death is jealous of life because death only gets one shot at us. But life can pummel us day after day after day. Sometimes it's not death that we fear. It is life itself that we fear so very much. He says, nor angels. Uh, we wouldn't have the same idea maybe as they did, but in Judaism, the rabbis taught that everything had an angel. I, it's almost like we're returning to that nowadays. I, I know people that ride motorcycles. I used to ride with some that did. They get a little motorcycle angel. I don't know what to call it, but something like that. I guess if you lay it down, it helps or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I doubt it. But they had a, a, a well-developed angelology, and some of them were bad. As a matter of fact, the rabbis taught that the angels were jealous that God created man. Because at one time, the rabbi said that the angels had God all to themselves. And then he created man, and he just gloated over him after that. And a lot of the angels were upset about all that. Paul said, if that is the case, that's just too bad. They won't separate you from the love of God. Principalities, that's established authorities. I think probably he is talking about in the spiritual realm. And I'll just tell you now, I'm, I'm not one of these that believes there's a demon behind every rock. But I do believe that there are powers of darkness uh, that are all around us. And sometimes we do battle with them. And sometimes you can almost feel those forces come over you and fight with you. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll just stop and I'll say, God, I don't know what that is. I'm just telling you, there is a heaviness on me. A, a fear will just come over me sometimes. And maybe I got it wrong. I don't know. But I wonder if that's not something from a world I don't see that knows I'm about to preach or knows I'm about to have to minister for the Lord that's reminding me of what a loser I am. Yeah. He says, are things present? Things in this life, those are the things I know about. Things to come. That's in the eternal realm. Maybe that's things I don't know about. Nor powers. Nor powers. I, I think about the, the, what's going on in Ukraine. you got this bully over there that is killing people and, and, and he's doing it just because that he can. But those Ukrainian Christians, I can tell you, Vladimir Putin will never separate them from the love of God. Never. Nor height, those are things that are above, nor depth, things that are below. None of those things will separate us from the love of God. And then he just sums it all up, and I will too. He says, or any other created thing. Man, that's nothing. Nothing will separate us from his love. In Revelation 12, 10, I'll close with this passage. It's one of my favorites. John says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. Not because they were real strong Christians or read their Bible every day. No, it was because of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. At the very end of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul uses a word seemingly out of nowhere. Two words, really, and the older English versions, not to name any in particular, put the two words together and kind of garble the meaning a bit. It's not a, a garble in the Greek. It's, it's just hard for the English to translate it sometimes. He uses two words, one anathema. And that means to let something be cursed. But he's talking about something beforehand. But then he uses a word that doesn't go with anathema. I think we ought to learn it. Probably be handy for you. It's maranatha. Maranatha, we say maranatha sometimes. That's where the word comes from. But maranatha is not Greek, it's not Hebrew, it's Aramaic. And that one word means, oh Lord, come. If you've been kind of looking for a word to use when you read the paper, there you go. It might be better than some of the words you've been using. Maranatha. Maybe we ought to get to where we just meet each other in Walmart. Good Maranatha, brother. Oh, Lord, come. Oh, Lord, come. Man. I can just tell you, don't know when he'll be here. I don't know when all of this mess in this world will end. And maybe right now you're sitting here and you're like, Mike, I'm not concerned too much with all the rest of the world. Maybe I should be. But maybe you're sitting here right now thinking, Pastor, if you just knew what I have gone through in the last year. Oh. I, I don't. I know with some of you. But I don't know how it made you feel because I, I, I just know that some of you walked through some very, very difficult times. I know that. You've had horrible Horrible things happen in your life. I know for me, the last year and a half of my life's been quite different. I never used to, when I saw where somebody died with cancer, took the time to read the article to find out what kind of cancer. I do that now. It's one of them things you think about sometimes. God's blessed me so much, I'm so ashamed to even say it, but 
I miss my hand. I know. I get along pretty good without it. I get to waving it up here during worship. You couldn't know in a million years how much I'd like to go over there. Sometimes I dream that I still have it and I wake up without it. I know there are people that are a lot worse off. I got it. But sometimes we grieve and we hurt. Life's painful sometimes. This is a great reminder that, boy, this place is messed up. But I'm glad this is not my home. When I was in Africa, it would be like 264 degrees Celsius. We had mosquitoes hauling young children around. Every snake you saw would kill you dead. Just dead. And our hospital over there was a mud hut and had a table, and there were three syringes loaded. And they told us, they said, if you get snake bit, go in that mud hut right there and jab one of them in your leg. No waiting in line. Frank, that's a great ER there, buddy. You just, no filling out paperwork. <laughs> just, <laughs> they told us, they said, we have spitting cobras here. Don't let them spit in your eyes. That acid can blind you. I gave them some assurance on that one. I said, if I see him in time, my eyes won't be on that side of my body. <laughs> but you know one thing that I think about? I miss this gal right here. I wrote a song for her while I was over there. Sure did. A lot of older missionary ladies, I'd sing that song, play it on the guitar. Using the letters in the name Loretta, it couldn't have been more hokey. Hell is for the love that I have in my heart. And oh, is for the ocean that keeps us apart. Huh? I ain't giving you no more. You can't handle it. I would sing it over there, and those older lady missionaries would just cry. And they'd punch her husband like, why ain't you ever done something like that? <laughs> oh. But I always knew, no matter how tough it gets here, this is not home. I'll be going home. Some of these people won't, but I will. And when I look at this old world, as tough as it gets, I can rejoice. This is not my home. One day I'm going home. I'm going home. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.